everybody. Welcome to the Bag and Boardcast, episode number 139. I remembered it this week. Yes. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> ask at all. Yeah. And I'm Chris. I'm the guy that remembers. I'm John. And I'm Paul, the guy who forgets. We're a weekly podcast that comes to you three ways. The first being the Week in Geek, bring you the top geek stories of the past week. Then we do the list, the comic books that we are looking forward to coming out September 12th. Then we always follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic. This week we're bringing you another trading policy. We did one a couple weeks ago when we talked about DC's Earth-1 Batman, and we're bringing you another hardcover, this time from over at Vertigo. It's Get Jiro by Anthony Bourdain and Langdon Foss. Well, before we can get to the books or to the news, we need to get ourselves some beer. Yes. And we're right in the middle of uh, some heated competition, but right now, as uh, our friends over on our Facebook page says, it's more like a October fest, not because the beers haven't been that great. Yes. Uh, and so we're hoping to mix that up by going local and drinking some Flying Bison Brewery's Bison Fest, their Oktoberfest lager. And uh, this is brewed with care and tradition. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> German Pilsner, Pilsner, Vienna, and Munich malts to give bison its rich multi flavor and orange amber color. The spice of German hops balances beer perfectly. I'm reading from the label. It does have a, a good amount of malt to it. Mm-hmm. You a get little, that. And you get a little bit of spice, but it just it leaves like an unpleasantness on my tongue. It, there's like a film, like a residue that's left behind after you drink it. Hmm. It's not like a hoppy bitter or anything. It's. You just feel like your tongue needs to be cleaned. It smells like it's going to be really good. Oh, I think it is good. It's got I, a good taste to it. It's just like that bizarre residue. There's something I, it just, I do not like it. Well, we got, you know, this, see, I, know, maybe it's just Oktoberfest in general that I'm learning that I do not like. See, I, I like it. I don't think it's bad. It's just that weird, the leavings of the Oktoberfest. It's still kind of watery. Nothing punches me in the mouth. It's not, you know, really making me stand up and saying this is a great beer. It's, it does have some nice multi characteristics. It's almost spiced, but not quite to a level where I'm wowed by it. And, um, yeah, it leaves me wanting. And I'm not, I don't pick up this filmy aftertaste that you guys are. I get just a bad taste in my mouth. I get. I don't know, there's like something that's like clinging to my tongue. When I see I never want to drink this beer again. Wow, okay. (laughs) So it's definitely not going to move on to our tournament of champions. I would take, I would, I would take the Saranac over this. The Saranac so far is still probably, probably the best. I'd put this maybe a little bit before those two authentic. I think this one has a little bit more flavor. Those ones were just too watery. They were too watery, but I could drink them. And enjoy them, or this, I, I don't even want to finish the half a pint I have. You don't have to, nobody's forcing you. Well, I'm going to. <laughs> he doesn't want to, but he's going to do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would probably take those over, over this. Know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let mine sit here and warm up a little bit and see if maybe yeah. it bounces something comes out or out. something. Mm-hmm. I will do the same. It, it might not, because I have it's not half bad. a pint that I don't want to drink. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not bad, but it's not great. Yeah. And later on in the episode, we'll be bringing you the Breckenridge. Harvest Fest, or Harvest Brew, but it's made with Munich malts and Bavarian hops. So it's their Oktoberfest. It's an Oktoberfest. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one because we do enjoy the Breckenridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Breckenridge vanilla porter on 
draft at McGruder's, and it was gross. And really? I was really surprised. I ordered it because yeah. I was like, all right, it's it's cold and rainy out, porter time. Give me the vanilla porter. And that was gross. I think it was just that's, lines. Like, it just... That's depressing. Yeah. I don't know. This is, like, my favorite time of year. We did talk about it before we started recording. It's just the weather's starting to cool down. You've been nice, like, chill and breeze in the air. Thank goodness, because my wife likes me again. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about the summer. No, nobody likes Paul in the summer. No, it's definitely not my time to shine. It is my time to stay away from people. Huddled in the corner. I know. Be- <laughs> Very hot and sweaty. Yes. I am too hot and sweaty during the summer. Everybody despises me because of that. I can't help it, though. I no, just run warm. It, I'm the same way. Like, uh, our apartment, it's just smelled like man. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you've realized that, but I'll come home from work. and Orakai, come up to your room <laughs> and just say. Yeah, yeah, they, they're looking for the halfling. Um, no, but, like, you just, like, you walk in and you open the door and you're just like, Yep, dudes live here. <laughs> yeah, it, it probably doesn't. And past couple days, though, it's starting to level out. Right? It's having those windows open. It no, it can, it's, there's no air movement at all yeah. in, the, in the apartment. There's been, like, no, it's been, it's been so hot and there's no breeze. And it's, there's been a breeze, like, today and yesterday. It's yeah. been pretty nice. No, no, I, I realize that, but when I Bar lived there, <laughs> when I lived there, I never thought that it smelled like man. Oh, you're you're just one man. There's two men there now. <laughs> yeah, and one goes running every other morning and just sits in the living room. And the other one sweating. sleeps and sweats. I'm just a hot sleeper. Why don't you take it, guys take a shower together? I, That's weird, Paul. <laughs> Saves water. I always do that. Uh, yeah, Paul. I That's why you're not allowed to come over to our place and shower. <laughs> then you threw up in the oh, oh. threw up in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, oh. hey Chris, uh, where's John? Oh, he's in the shower, Paul. Oh, okay. I'm, oh, get out of the bathroom. What are you doing here? I'm just, just going to go in there, too. <laughs> I could use a shower. Save water. Save water. <laughs> get all those places on the back that I can't reach. It's crazy. He's got to bend over to show them to you. <laughs> hey. hey. News. Oh, we, we could talk about some news. Yeah, we probably should get this episode going. So we have a Week in Geek, and that's where we talk about stuff that's happening. And Paul... You're the one that's basically responsible for all this stuff. Am I? Saw. Yeah. It's your baby. Oh, um, I completely forgot to mention this. We didn't talk about it last week at all. Michael Clark, uh, Duncan oh, died. Oh, yes. We, we mentioned it in the pre-show, but it never made its way to air. And that's what happens during our pre-show. We mention things and then we're like, we, oh, Paul, you remember this stuff. And then I forget. That's why in the beginning of the podcast, I said, yeah, I'm the guy that forgets. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan, best known to us for, for the guy playing Kingpin and Daredevil. Which is probably not how he should be remembered. Also, the magic black man in, in Green, Green Mile. Mile. All his work with uh, Bruce Willis. In wasn't he was also no that's Finn Graham's in Mission Impossible. <sighs> Racist Paul's coming out. <laughs> no, I was trying to think if he was was so wait with who? Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis? Uh, they were in Pushing Up Daisies together. Uh, or not pushing it. Uh, mm. The one with um, I'm not the, the guy from Friends. Oh. Oh, you're talking about uh, the last, the whole nine yards. Whole nine, nine yards. yards. Last of the. The last, uh, like, the last yard. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, no, that's that's not right. It's the whole nine yards in 
the whole ten yards. Yeah. Well, he's in the first one, and then they were in um, Armageddon together. I know I saw Armageddon. I just don't remember Still any Ben of Affleck, it. and they go to the moon. Yeah, and blow I, it up. I remember nothing about that movie. He was in that movie. Mm-hmm. I've only seen it once. I think they're in like a, maybe one or two more movies together. And you know what? I might not have actually seen Armageddon. I think I've just seen that music video by Aerosmith way too many times, and now I think I've seen Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> we that's basically probably all you yeah, need. That's all you need. Steve Buscemi's in it. Oh, that's right. He is. Yeah. Oh. Nobody picked Michael Clark Duncan for the Death Bowl, though. No. I'm no. surprised. Paul's, Paul's leading the way. Yep. I got the one. Which one again? What, what? Uh, to Clark. Yes. One's all you need. John won last year with one. It's true. Uh, yeah, it's sad to see him go. Well, I thought he had a heart attack. You said a couple. He had a heart attack like two months weeks ago or weeks. Two weeks before he passed away, and just complications from that. He was a really big guy. He was a big guy. Yeah, but he wasn't like never seemed like it was out of shape. Yeah, he didn't seem out of shape. He just seemed like he was a big dude. Like mm-hmm. kind of how Randy's a big guy. Yeah, and I know that. A few years ago, like, he leaned down. Like, he was still a huge guy, but he kind of, it was, like... More toned? More toned, like, not, like, a fat-around-the-muscle big guy, but just really toned, lean Uh guy. Um, Cardiovascular health can strike anybody. Slamming Salmon, he was in that movie, too. Oh, he was in that. He played, like, the... uh, The owner. Like, he used to be the boxer. Yeah. And now he owns the restaurant. Yeah, I forgot about that movie. Um, It's kind of sad about this all his own. We live in Buffalo... And did you guys see the news story that Channel 2 News here in Buffalo ran a picture of the R&B singer Seal? No. And they were talking about <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan dying. Oh, no. Yeah. Man, they don't look anything alike. No, they don't. Nope. nope. But I, I saw that online. It was on um some blog that I was looking at, and I was like, oh, way to go, Buffalo. You're number one in nothing. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that was my fault. I was in charge of that picture. <laughs> Paul Paul also does all the image searches for Channel 2 News here That's in Buffalo. That's not true. Even though if they're hiring, <laughs> because they want to get rid of that guy, I totally Paul, won't confuse Big Rames and Paul's totally Duncan. good at Google searching. Just, I'm, I'm sure you have the technology. Just go look at everything he's looked up on Google. He's found it. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I know how to get around Giddy images. I'm great, great at Giddy. Chris was really proud of himself about that one. Because <laughs> it, it makes no sense. But it makes all the sense. But it does. It's 100 per- percent true of anybody that <laughs> yeah. use Google. They're going to find usually what they search for. When you search something, and the proper spelling you get, result, too. get results. Um, I don't know if anyone else likes to do this. If I'm typing something, I'll go to Google and define the word just to make sure that I'm using it properly, even though I know I am. Huh. I used to like to play at work. We would have to do team building exercises. I would play Google Family Feud, where you would uh, get the first part of the sentence of the Google search term, and then the automated, like, Responses, the the uh, two teams would have to guess. So, so example like what happens if, mm-hmm. and, and then, then you'd have to guess. Yeah, best city, uh, North America's best city, and then you would have to guess like for a hooker. <laughs> wow, exactly. I'm great guess. I'm throwing it out there. Yeah, but that's so you would then you know look on Google to see and write those down and then put it on the big board. Sometimes it's creepy. Yeah, like is it wrong to? And oh, the number yeah. one is have sex with my sister, and you're just that's, like who? That should why, not be number one. Why would people be searching that? 
they just want some kind of confirmation I, of yes, so they think they can I've, go ahead. I've never. Or hit- what if they're trying to prove it to their sister? What if their <laughs> sister wants to, and they're like. No, let's just let's just go to Google and he's, see what Google they're says. They're holding her at bay with their foot as they're typing on Google. Google. What's horrible is they press feeling lucky. <laughs> I've never hit feeling lucky. What's that supposed to do? It takes you to the first uh, Google response. It automatically sends you to that website instead of giving you the list of responses. Okay. So the number one response. So if you know. It's for the people that instead of actually typing in their address bar. So instead of going to Yahoo, I'm just going to type Yahoo feeling lucky. <laughs> and you go right to Yahoo or Newsarama. Okay. You like in your address bar, you know it's, you might have spelled it wrong, but you know, boom. That's, that's kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds a lot better than Paul's Google image game <laughs> yeah. that he lost. Where you have to, you have to search for your name and see how, how many pages back or how close you are to the top and you get to win. Mm-hmm. I am like 37 pages deep on the Google image results, and you lose if a porn image image happens before your your actual picture. That's the only way to lose. So, yeah, that's the Google image game. Safe search on. <laughs> well, then you would never lose. It's not a competition. I, I think I was like 14 pages. I can't remember. Cause we I was it. the number two picture. Yeah. My dad, my dad was the first. <laughs> There you go. Now you know where to look to find what we look like. Also, if you try to search, is it wrong to have, it comes up, sex with John's dad. <laughs> I know. That guy's so pissed about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, we have more news, though. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VII. Arguably the most beloved Final Fantasy game and Mo- the most hated Final it's, Fantasy game. I think people look back on this game with rose-colored glasses because it was the first real big RPG that came out on the Sony PlayStation. If you had played any Final Fantasy game before, I don't want to say it was nothing new, but yeah, it, it, you had seen that stuff. Except, except for the full motion videos. Exactly, except it had like the FMVs, and yeah, it was cool. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't aware how people regarded that game until like years after it came out. And yeah. I was like, it was a Final Fantasy game. Have you not played one before? But... It, it's it's coming back. And it's had a lot of... Well, since then, it's had a lot of uh, games come out for it. You know, they did the whole AC, BC, DC, you know, Advent Children AC, and then uh, what was BC? Um, I forgot. Because they had... Before, cr- before Crisis. So there was a... Oh, yeah, and then there was a, which was a Crisis cell phone Core. Game, Crisis Core, which, which was, was on the PSP. Mm-hmm, which dealt with... Uh, Dirt, uh, not Cloud's Alter Ego. Zach. Zach. Uh, spoilers yeah. for Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, but I don't think I can spoil that game. game has been out for 15 years. I still don't understand that game. I don't have ahead. any idea what you guys are talking about. And then and DC, Dirge of Cerberus, the shooter, mm-hmm. starring Vincent Valentine on Which, PlayStation 2. Did it ever come out? Yeah, it came out. Oh, for the PlayStation 2. Yes. That's how long, you see, that's how long of a tale this series has had. Advent Children came out years later after... Yeah. PlayStation 2, it came out, what, like maybe five years ago? Yeah, I was going to say, like, 2005, maybe? Mm-hmm. Or so. a video game that came out in 97. Yeah. So, long time following, and now we're getting a new update for it for PC that you can download for uh, $10, right off of Square Enix website. Which, not bad. I mean, we're at the point now where this game has almost faded into legend, I want to say. It, yeah. It's so highly regarded, but... I don't know, I'm always just going to feel like, yeah, it's another one of the Final Fantasy games. It's definitely not my favorite. 
but people love this game. So there's been a, a lot of talk about it. It has a huge following still. So yeah, they're going to give people a chance to download and play it again. It was one of my first Final Fantasy games, and it was also one of my last Final Fantasy games. Even though I've gone back and played 1, 2, 3, three 4, the DS, the actual Japanese city. That's what gets weird, too, the numbering. 3 is and 6. I, yeah, and I feel sorry for all of the people that are like John that have no clue what we're talking about right now. Yeah, so, Final Fantasy is just, it's crazy. But, you know, I do enjoy the series. I just couldn't keep playing until, because I only had a PC, I never had a PlayStation. So I could only, so I played up 5, 6... Uh, because those came out for the DS. I did, played 8, but I could never get 9. So You didn't I, miss out. 9 is probably my least favorite. Haven't played 10 or 10 2. I thought you did. No. Oh, I thought you had that one on computer. No, that Ten's, never came out for PC. 10 honestly my favorite. Like, that's the one I could go back to and replay whenever. And then I played uh 12. 12 is good. You played 11, too. Yeah, Final Fantasy Online, 11. Um, so Hanuman. That was my character's name because that was awesome. And, uh, <laughs> I, I like that name. It's a cool name. Hanuman. Come on. He's a red mage. Yep. Human. Or. Hume. Hume, yeah. And John's never played a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> Ever. Uh, Chris, let me borrow one of them. I played like a couple minutes at the beginning and then I got really bored. I like. I stopped. I liked eight, but. Yeah, and the whole backstory, but the whole time thing was awesome. Eight was really good. I liked eight a lot more than seven. I like six a lot more than seven. With the Esteros and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um I always liked Locke was always my main character. He was a thief, he was cool. Yeah. And man, it's some of the job systems before seven are a lot cooler than the whole materia system. See, I like materia, but I like the junction system in eight a lot more. See, I would, I wish both for the junction system and also materia that some characters had a more affinity for certain junctions and also for certain materia. Like a specialization. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> like, I should always use these kind of materia versus. Oh, I had like every single summon I could get equipped on Cloud because yeah, exactly. the summons were the coolest. And that's all you, that's all people would do. And it didn't matter. And that's what kind of upset me. I wish there was characters. Character-based bonuses to certain materia, you know, yeah. and junctions in 8. And what messed me up with 8 was after I played through and you learned that the junctions were actually erasing people's memories, I played through that. <laughs> I went back, started a new save, played through as soon, because you had to junction at some points because the game made you. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you didn't have to junction, I would unjunction everybody as soon as they entered my party. Did not change the game. No. No. It's not Mass Effect, Paul. <laughs> I know. Which I saw you playing the other night still. Yeah, I'm going through my Insanity playthrough. It's I'm almost through uh, Insanity on Mass Effect 2. The way you feel about Mass Effect is Insanity, sir. Yes. And I play Mass Effect like some people play Final Fantasy 7. That's, I understand that. That's very true. Do you ever feel like you're missing out, John? Because No, I I, I can't stand those games. Like, you don't, you don't just, like role-playing games. I don't. It, it, I, that's one of the reasons why. Is because I could just never get into those games. I think you've let me borrow two or three yeah. of them, and I give them a shot, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot more kind of action. I never liked the fighting style, how it's all of a sudden they jump Turn on base. Oh, the sides, were... and then you click a button, they run up and 
hit twice. It's like the active time battle mm-hmm. stuff, too. And the randomized battles that you're just walking around. Yeah, you're around just walking around. through, and then all of a sudden, you know, get huh? attacked. I think the most, like, the, I, like, if you count the Pokemon games, like, I beat one of those. That That's a... That's heavily RPG. Yeah, yeah that's that is very I, RPG. That's, that's the only one I've ever really played, except for the more actiony ones like, like Diablo, Diablo, Borderlands. Borderlands, where it's not. It takes those elements, but it's not as tiring. How about Boulder's Gate? Uh, my sister played it. I played a little bit of it, but I hated that game. What? It's a Bioware game. How dare you, sir? <laughs> I don't know. I'd have my party. I would do something, and I'd go like. All of a sudden, everybody in my party would be killed by a bear. Well, don't mess with bears. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I was like, I got five people. We should be able to take out this bear. And it'd be like, everybody's dead. <laughs> and then I'd have to start over. And then I'm like, all right, I'm not going to go that way. And I'd go back in the town and I'd get something and then go out and take a different route. And then I'd run into some guy and he'd kill like half the people in my party. And I'd be like, what? Fernando. Well, and- <laughs> regardless... Of how John feels about them, RPGs, especially the Final Fantasy games, have earned a ton of money over the years. They're, they're sales powerhouses. Yes. And we got sales from this past month, August, and DC is uh, Not much better. leading the way with shares with 33%, but uh, Marvel owns the unit market share with uh, 37 so Marvel's oh, selling more books. to be Jews! <laughs> There was a side conversation here while Paul was doing the sales thing. Breaking down the numbers. Uh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna cut you off because I wanna give backstory because I think it's funny. John drew a little Hitler on his thumb while we were talking about Final Fantasy. And he's blown raspberries. And then I said in a, in a Hitler voice, oh, sucks to be Jew. He's, he's pretty, he's pretty happy Hitler blowing the raspberries. I wanna punch him. Ah, I, my I heard a crack. Or maybe I could have just been. I'm impact. sorry. I'm like Captain America. I see Hitler. I punch. What? I think everybody does the same. And um, to kind of go back to what we were talking about before. No, not the comic book sales. This beer is not better after you let it sit for a little bit. Nope. I, I don't ha- get as much of a bitter on the back of my tongue from it. I, I don't get as much of the uh, that spiced flavor. Like I still get the malty. But continue on, Paul. Well, I think the most interesting uh, things about these numbers are that year over year, uh, comic book sales are up. You know, a good 15% for units and almost 20% for um, the dollar share. Yes, we're putting out more money for each comic book we buy, but we're buying more comic books. And I guess... It has gone up a lot over the years. I mean, I remember spending a dollar seventy-five for an issue of X Men, mm-hmm. but even back when we got into comic books, you were paying like two fifty, two twenty-five, maybe two twenty-five for, for a book. Yeah, like depending on what it was. Because I think the actually fifty-two was all two fifty, two dollars and fifty cents. I can't. I, but I think they were they were marketing it that as a but smaller that, priced book. Because no, I, I no, really, that was their standard price for. The issues at was that it? point, yeah, it was two fifty because normal books were two twenty five. Then they. I, I remember when we first started going to John's. 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 Over to John's place to yeah. go over to Don's. I, That's not true. I, I always drove. I had to pick yeah. him up. I remember going to to Don's with John, and picking up the first issue of Green Lantern when we went there and being like, "Oh, cool, two twenty five. Because it, it 
it was a good price because I was like, yeah, it's not much more than I remember spending for it before. And Kyle's still on the cover. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we're, we are paying more, but at the same time, compared to what we were paying for movie tickets, I don't feel like it's gone up too crazy. Yeah, well, movie tickets. I th- movie tickets jumped from like five something to ten dollars. I'd say in like five years, it's an increase of about seventy five percent. When you say it like that, <laughs> two twenty five versus two ninety nine, it's an increase of seventy five percent or forty five cents. Like, <laughs> yeah, but percentages let you okay and then um uh, that, that's me that's me not buying two gumballs <laughs> five, like 550 to what okay. ten dollars now okay so five dollars and fifty cents divided by ten that's only a uh difference of 55 percent so percentage wise comics have jumped a lot more than movie tickets but it, it just you feel more of that sting because movie tickets are more are you challenging my math, sir? <laughs> it just is amazing. I mean, it just 40, I know. 45 cents as, to as five, 450. As much as I hate paying more for comic books now, I've never looked at them and been like, oh, I have to pay another like 50 cents over what I used mm-hmm. to pay. Not, not movie tickets. I was like, I used to pay $5 for a movie. Like, I remember when I went to go see Jackie Chan Roman the Bronx. It was like $5 to see it. Mm-hmm. Not. Ten bucks for a movie ticket. Twelve if you want to see it in 3D. Like it's thirteen if you want to see it on IMAX. Like, yeah, that 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 hurts more. That's a price increase that I really notice. I, I really do feel like 3D and IMAX are price gouging. Like, there's no reason well, you don't get more. I don't feel like I get more of a movie experience or more storytelling per dollar value on an IMAX screen versus a screen i really don't no i don't feel like i get a better story because you don't know it's the same story just presented in a different way well that and that's we've talked about it before i mean that's how they're trying to sell the experience like see it on the biggest of big screens in 3d right but i feel like the value in comics has increased since we start first started i think it's all now all glossy pages before we were getting it still on the newsprint pages we're getting more, you know, international talent, definitely, on yeah. the artist perspective. And you're getting people that enjoy writing comics, writing comics again. You know, Jeff Johns, you're, you know, there was an influx of the independents with Mike, Brian Michael Bendis. But I, I came to both companies. I'd still put him alongside Jeff Johns as someone mm-hmm. who loves comics. Oh, yeah, writing yeah, yeah. Comics. They're, I, I would put them both on value, uh, on par. But you saw this influx of people from the independent scene come to Marvel, and you saw this new group of people come over to DC. No. Okay. But uh, So I think the value has been being added to the comic book industry, at least. Maybe I, not I, so in I think movies. so. Yeah. And, it, I mean, you got better quality books. I mean, I remember, I remember getting Ultimates and being like, well, look at these glossy pages. Yeah. Like... And the, the, just, the quality of the book, like, and the quality of everything in there too. And then having that like hard stock cover mm-hmm. for some of them, like it all, you know, you go, okay, I'm paying a little bit more money, but I'm getting a nicer book. When I was first getting into the uh, Jeff Loeb color books, yeah, you know, Spider-Man Blue were amazing, and those were I think three dollars. 
yeah. per issue. And, yeah, and you were paying that for that extra It had the bit. card stock, and, but it was all glossy pages, and it was all really well-done work. You know? And that was almost marketed as, like, a prestige comic. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a upper-class yeah. comic book. That was the stake to comic books hamburgers, if you will. It was definitely the, you know... What the steakhouse burger? The steakhouse burger. <laughs> that was the Angus burger the instead Angus of the burger. value menu. Except, instead of the yeah, the uh, ninety-nine cent dollar menu. But I'm I'm glad to see that you know comics are continuing to sell. I mean, I part of me really hopes it's because more people are going into the shops mm-hmm. instead of just the same people buying more books. Yeah, I would love to see more and more people discovering the medium that. We love and have been talking about on a podcast for years now. Yeah. Instead of just like the same, like, few people that have been going in just deciding to spend more money on books. I think it should be easier for people now to get into comic books and to stay into comic books because of podcasting. Like, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I love doing a podcast is because my big hope is that we'll be able to talk to com- about comic books with a lot more people. Cause, Honestly, comic book shops aren't the best place to talk about comic books. <laughs> I, I don't even talk about comic books with the guy that owns our comic book no, shop. Like, because his tastes in comic books are definitely different from our tastes. But the internet is full of people that love the same comics you do. And we hope that if you're listening to the show that you're reading comic books, the same comic books we're reading, or you're reading different ones, and you want to talk about them, and you want to share them with somebody, and that you would you know send us emails or... Like us on the Facebook. Yeah. And, and talk about what you've read this week because that's why I do this podcast. Yeah. I, I, like rightfully so, I do it because I love t- comic books and I love talking about them and it gives me a venue to do so. Makes me can't wait to go to the store this week. <laughs> oh, what are you going to be picking up on September 12th, Paul? Oh, well, that's an easy one. I am very interested in seeing what Gail Simone uh, does with Batgirl number zero. We're promised to see why uh, Barbara Gordon became Batgirl. Her tragic ac- accident uh, that led her left her paralyzed. And then also how she became able to walk again. So, uh, you know, and that's the big question. It's been the big question since last year when Batgirl number one came out. And everybody's like, well, they didn't say how she was able to walk. They just made illusions. And especially because they're like, oh, no, all that stuff, she was Oracle. This yeah. all happened. She was Batgirl. Like, mm-hmm. So uh, it, that's going to be interesting to see. And that's the – I haven't been picking up Batgirl since maybe the – since the issue, the first story arc wrapped up with the mirror. Probably like issue six. Four. Issue four, I think. And uh, so – you know, I, I probably, this won't make me want to pick up is, issue number 13, but it's a cool bridge. I want to see the bridge between Oracle and Batgirl. And I feel like that's what DC's really doing with these zero issues, too. It's trying to answer those questions that you have, like, okay, how did we get from where we were into the new 52? Mm-hmm. While at the same time, trying to grab those people back. Comics are getting more money. We're spending more on them, at least. Well, no, and we're buying more than last year, too. But, I mean, last year was a quite a down year. And that's and, why. But, and look at how many up. comic books we bought last year. I mean, we picked up all of the new 52. And mm-hmm. as soon as they announced the zero issues, I was 
going through, I was reading through all those solicitations a little bit closer, paying a little bit more attention to all the books that were coming out that I wasn't buying because I wanted to see what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got a couple new comics that are starting with new issues with the Zeros as well. Yeah, last week I picked Phantom Number Zero, and this week I'm going to go with Team Seven. Phantom Stranger? Phantom Stranger. Okay. What'd I say? The Phantom. Phantom, oh. Phantom Stranger. Listen to your friend Billy Zane, he's a cool guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, this week I'm doing Team Seven Number Zero, the response group created with Superman and these other superheroes starting to come into our world. This is the team that's put together to counteract them. And you have... Uh, Dino Lance, Amanda Waller, Steve Trevor, Alex Fairchild, um, Cole Cash, Grifter, and Slade Wilson, Deathstroke on this team. And this is kind of how they got together. And then continuing on with a whole new series, Team are, 7. Are you looking forward to that kind of covert ops team book almost? Because you were a fan, or you were at least checking out like the kind of off-kilter books when they came out with the new 52, like the Men at War. Yeah. Type stuff. Are you looking uh, for that ground level book? I kind of am. And what I think is, I, I think it's kind of odd is you're getting this book and then you're going to be getting the Justice League of America, which is supposed to be mm-hmm. the superheroes at that ground level spy kind of stuff. So it is interesting to see, okay, this is just people who didn't shoot well and are trained mercenaries versus mm-hmm. the superhero one. Um, but I'm interested to check it out. I think I ordered this and number one. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm putting too much faith in it. I just figured this is zero. We need to mm-hmm. check out. And it would be kind of interesting because Steve Trevor is kind of a character who you kind of need to know a little bit more about because he is popping up throughout mm-hmm. all of these books. He'll be in Justice League of America. Yeah. I, um, he's, he was in Justice League Dark. Who's, mm-hmm. who's the spy? Um, what is it? Justin Jordan and, uh, Jesus Marino doing oh, art. I- I don't know who Justin Jordan is, but Hazel, oh. Hazel Marino, he's done a bunch of other stuff that I know I've mm-hmm. read and enjoyed. I just can't remember what it's, it was now. It's a name I recognize yeah. that I'm not familiar with. Uh, Justin Jordan has done um, some independent stuff, I believe, for Image. He's done some oh, work. Good. Okay. Um, I'm also actually looking forward to a number zero from DC. Uh, mine is one of my favorite books starring someone that used to be one of my least favorite characters it's green lantern core number zero and in this one we're getting the origin story of guy gardner oh really i hated guy gardner growing up is like, it because of his haircut it that was probably part of it but he was just he was a jerk he was he was a jerk and not that like funny jerk mm-hmm. like he was just he was a dick i did not like him i i hated guy gardner in the Late 80s, early 90s when I was reading comics. And it Did wasn't... you like him any better after Batman punched him? No, because I probably missed that issue. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't know Justice that until later on. Yeah. But I have to say, it was Green Lantern Rebirth yeah, and Green was... Lantern and Green Lantern Corps where you were like, All right, I like Gary Gardner. And like that's him. right when I really started to enjoy him. And then once you had him paired up with Kyle Rayner, who was my favorite Green Lantern, and you got that buddy cop. Kind of like do the thing that I'm missing from Green Lantern. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, that that's what I I really started to like Guy Gardner more. So when he had his own book coming out with Emerald Warriors, I was like, I don't mind buying a Guy Gardner book now. Mm-hmm. And Green Lantern Corps has kind of become the Guy Gardner and a bunch of other Green Lanterns book, and I'm okay with that. And I really want to see 
where he's coming from in this quote unquote new universe. I want to see what led him to where he is and how that might be different from that douchey guy we had before with the bowl cut. I'm excited, but not as excited as I am to crack it open into these Breckenridge brews that we just brought out. And it is the Autumn Ale. It's not the Harvest Ale. It's Autumn Ale, and this is brewed with Bulgarian hops and Munich malts. It warms, warms the soul, soul soothes the spirit. Mm. Uh, and, the, and the Bavarian hops, I mean, that the a Bavarian ale is a darker lager, and this is is dark as a stout or a porter. This is the darkest of the autumn Oktoberfests, whatever you want to call them, that we've had so far. Like, this is shockingly dark. John poured a little bit into his pint glass, and I was like, what's in his glass? Like, I... <laughs> He's got what is motor make- oil in there? <laughs> what is the making of that chemical reaction to I, make this beer so dark? Looking at this, I would figure it more to be something like a porter or stout. And mm-hmm. if you taste it, it's like a porter just without the smoky. Hmm, I can't. I can't. Wait a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It does have that creaminess that you associate with a porter. Yeah, really malty. I but not smoky at all, and it's really it's, good. It's enjoy. It's very enjoyable. This I, is something you could drink on a autumn day. Like, I feel like this is something that I can't compare to the rest of the yeah. Oktoberfest, though, because it, but it it's made me- from the same stuff, but that's, I mean, that whole German purity law, it's made from the same ingredients, but just how those ingredients affect it almost, you know? It made me, like, the Bulgarian hops right on the label in Munich Maltz, and it says, after Rotkin. I, I really assume that this was their Oktoberfest, yet I feel like after drinking it, it's not their Oktoberfest at all. Especially no, since you're like, oh, it tastes like a porter. I'm like, oh, snap. Then I, I guess mean, this isn't. I, I think, I mean, we're looking for that beer that you would drink for September in October. In your October. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to say just, just September, John. Yeah. Well. Because October, I've only got one thing in mind. <laughs> But it's it's meant to be drink. It, uh, You're a pumpkin head, sir. Your your everybody thinks that Oktoberfest happens in October. Your harvest ales, your autumn ales are going to take place between, and your pumpkin ales are all between September and October. Pumpkin ales a little more into November. So I would count this in that Oktoberfest autumn harvest ales. And just because of, of that, I mean, we're still going to be drinking more Oktoberfests in this mm-hmm. because okay. there are, it's more Oktoberfests out there than Harvest or Autumn. So the, the only other Harvest Ale I can think of is Southern Tier. Mm-hmm. Oh. Do you know any other and there, fall and beers? And that Harvest was, is so much like the rest of those Oktoberfests that we've been drinking. Yeah. It no. definitely lines up. This is just okay. so different and so good. It is and by good. It's so it's... different. I mean, it's good. Yeah. So therefore, it's not. And and here's the thing: if okay, it's Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest beers are out there. Fall beers are out there. What, what, you what are you gonna What are you gonna drink? I'm, I'm I drink this. Yeah, this. Yes, exactly. This. Easily. So, I mean, hands down, it's our September drinking beer at this point. Yeah, this is. I enjoyed the Saranac. But I, mean, I would we still have, have some Saranac in the fridge. We later on, later we can, on, uh, please do 
we got one last bottle of this and one last bottle of this Saranac. We can put them head to head at the end of the episode. I, I'm okay with that. And we will have the showdown. Cause this is really good. And it is so different from everything else that we had, which is why I feel bad for, bad for comparing it to them. <laughs> but it leaves and bounds better. Yeah, and I mean, this is, I mean, there's always those beers that were like. That's Orange and Movement, right? Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's always beers that were like, oh, this would be perfect for drinking in the fall. So, I mean, there's, we're, we're bound to happen upon those as well. So it, it, it does indeed warm the soul. It's it bound, much like Wonder Woman is bound by her lasso of truth. <laughs> I forgot to go to that one. I know. <laughs> I'm the guy that forgets. So a uh, new Wonder Woman television show might be happening on what? the CW. Well, this is a Weekend Geek flashback. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Time machine. Because yeah. Flashback got canceled, right? Flash. It was called Flash Forward. Oh, Flash Forward? Yeah. What a stupid name. I don't Ooh. But yeah, new Wonder Woman show coming out after they had already started working on a Wonder Woman show. Well, they created the pilot. The pilot was actually shown, what, last year at Comic-Con? Yeah. Starring uh, the girl from Friday Night Lights and written and directed by the guy that David did, Kelly. did uh, what was the Alien McBeal. Boston Public. Boston Legal. Oh, it was Boston Public. Yeah. I don't remember. Teacher one. Not Boston. Okay, yeah, Boston so Public was the teacher one because it had seven of nine in it. Yeah, and it wasn't uh, <laughs> Boston Commons, which was the comedian guy. Yeah, that was then in that with Michael Malley and uh, uh-huh. which I I liked show. the look of that one Woman. Like I was a hundred percent on it, but it seemed like it was going to be a one Woman show done well. Mm-hmm. Um. This one, though, just based off of what we've been told from the get-go, kind of has me a little bit more hopeful, because written by Alan Heinberg. Man, who is Wonder Woman? Who is Wonder Woman? That was the name of his comic book run that uh, he did for the relaunch of Wonder Woman. And I first heard about this when our friend Aaron from over at Confessions of a Movie Snob posted an article about it. And when I read that article, it nowhere mentioned that he had written a Wonder Woman comic <laughs> book. It was, like, known for his comic book work. And his TV shows, like the OC. But it, it mentioned Young Avengers, which yep. I still love that book and can't wait for more whenever and, they get to it. And even in the OC, he, he had comic book fans as characters in the OC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if he's going to be handling, if this does get picked up or it does move forward because they are putting a strong push behind Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, Smallville worked very well for him, apparently. Yeah, well, yeah, I got ten seasons. Hope, hopefully Arrow does well, because I think... I can say we're all looking forward to Arrow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I I would dig a cool Wonder Woman show. If they can springboard a Wonder Woman show into the movie, perhaps? The the one thing that I worry about with Alan Herringberg... Did you read the Who is Wonder Woman? Run? I did. It, it basically dealt with her being unpowered again and and trying to get her powers back. I don't want a television show with a depowered, like that 70s style, mm-hmm. like Wonder Woman as spy action hero, uh, event from the British Avenger, you know, kind of Wonder Woman. I want Wonder Woman. But it, it was. But you had a depowered Superboy in exactly. Smallville. 
Well, uh, no flights, no cape. No flights, no tights. Superboy. Yeah. I'm okay with no flights, no invisible plane, because I hate the invisible plane. I think it's kitschy. I want the comic book version of Wonder Woman that we get now and recently since post-crisis Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. I want her battling monsters, which seems like it would be really easy to do on the television show because it's a Monster of the Week television show. Yeah. You know, well, what's what, an overarching thing? What I liked about his Wonder Woman arc is it dealt with the whole Wonder Woman mythos. So it centered around Diana. It mm-hmm. centered around Cassie. Donna Troy was in there. Yep. Um, Circe was in there. And Circe it, was the main villain. It was a good, like, I had never bought a Wonder Woman comic book until that number one came out because I could care less about the OC, but I loved Young Avengers. Mm-hmm. Like, that book, it hit me. Like, I was reading it. And I loved it. And I was resistant to it. When I first saw it, like the solicitation uh-huh. stuff for it and the ads, I was like, oh, well, it's just Marvel trying to cash in off of what success DC had when they relaunched Teen Titans with Jeff Johns. Yeah. Young Adventures was so great, though. Like, because it was so different from Teen Titans. And it, it was. Like, it really was something completely different. And I chalk it up to Alan Heinberg. Mm-hmm. So when he, I saw he was doing Wonder Woman, I was like, okay. I I was surprised by this guy. He's obviously a fan of comic books. He knows what yep. he's doing. I'll pick it up. And I enjoyed it. And if I just wish it had stayed yeah. good after that. Exactly. He didn't leave it anywhere. It didn't go anywhere further to really define who Wonder Woman was, though. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, big, the big question, he left, like, sitting there. And then... Jodie Pickett comes in from writing books and does her thing with Wonder Woman, which was completely different. And then Gail Simone comes in and moves her in with monkeys yeah. and does something completely and that, different. And that's honestly right where I jumped off. As much as I enjoyed Gail Simone, mm-hmm. you're, you're she, looking forward to Batman number zero. Batgirl. Batgirl. Oh. And, uh, well, she then took her on the road and took her basically out of the DC universe for a while. You know, like her doing the travels. And then uh, G- GMS. Had his thing with the 600th issue of Wonder Woman. Yeah, but and that, then no, the journey, which that, was actually quite good, I was good. That. We did enjoy that, and it was completed by. Uh, what well, was like a during Phil that whole Hester, month, right? Yeah, no. they, was it Phil Hester that completed the Wonder Woman? It was like books? an anthology book well, for 600. I, issue 600 was, but GMS's run it wasn't completed by GMS. It was completed by somebody else. Uh, I'm forgetting yeah. who it was. What happens? I'm sorry. I, I give us credit for everything we do remember about comic books. I'm the guy that forgets. I'm so <laughs> glad that I introduced myself that way this episode. <laughs> because this has never been more apparent than today. Yes. yes, very true. But yeah, that's that's a it's a show that I'm looking forward to more because of his involvement than I was the original Wonder Woman show that never came out. Right. Yeah, I, I mean. Um, David Kelly writes good, wi- strong women drama, mm-hmm. soap opera-y kind of shows. So him doing Wonder Woman, I think I I had thoughts that it was going to be a nice, strong character and probably have some money behind it and be a professional, a, be a good show that wise mm-hmm. that way because he is a big TV name, so he would have a nice budget. Um, but yeah, having uh, having Heinz, Heinzberg on that 
Alan Heinberg, yeah. Um, someone who is a fan who did write in the comic books and and has that love of the books and the medium and wants to mm-hmm. wants to tell a good Wonder Woman story. It would be nice to have him have him on there. And has had success on the CW. So you know, and the OC lasted what eight seasons? Yeah, but that was on Fox. Oh, that was Fox. But oh, okay, he still. And uh, Fox is a canceled yeah. shows right now. <laughs> yeah. They cancel good shows too. He's a name in the TV world. Mm-hmm. He has a name in the comic book world. So I think the meshing of those two in the form of Wonder Woman, I, I think it's a good sign. I'm hopeful. Yep. Like I would hate to see this be terrible. Would you rather him do Wonder Woman or a Young Avengers TV series? Mm. I see Young Avengers. Young Avengers, like it doesn't. It's, it's too mired in the continuity of comic books. Yeah. I don't think you could do it on a TV show. Well, I could see it only on like what is the Disney XD? XD? Yeah. Like doing a Disney XD show, I don't see it being a primetime television show. Yeah, Wonder Woman it. has been a primetime television, tel- you know, show. Young, yeah, but, I mean, Young Avengers, yeah. I can see as a cartoon, mm-hmm. like Teen Titans or Young Justice, almost. But uh, Wonder Woman, primetime, and anything that gets comic book characters in the media zeitgeist uh, more, I'm all for. So I'd much rather have Wonder Woman again, because girls still wear Wonder Woman T-shirts. Yes, they do. <laughs> that was that was. They creepy. dress up as slutty ones. No, too. come on. Let's stay on this. Whoa, side. let's bring other let's... side of the line. You are let's over. Bring it back. Line. Let's bring it back. Come back to the. Come back to the light. This side. is the guy who loves sluts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which you you are Paul, talking about, Paul, but other Paul, side you line. love sluts. <laughs> it's. I I'm not sure if you guys are meaning to insinuate what you guys are insinuating. We're not calling because your I, wife a slut. No, no, no. Okay, because but you, that's what it kind of sounds like. No. Uh, anytime we I'd go be, to conventions, Paul's always like, oh, slut, 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 <laughs> And then, like, and then he's, like, I, holding, I think, he's holding the doors more, extra long for, like, women. I think like, I've heard women. him say that as we're walking around the convention. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that has not happened. Yes, it has. <laughs> and then it's, like, he's holding the door open for ladies. And then, like, I'm ten feet ahead Paul or Chris is five feet ahead, and then Paul's still back there talking to the ladies, and we're like, no, 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 sluts. <laughs> I don't think I've ever referred to any girl as such. Yep, no, you have, because I remember in going to Boston, you 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 go, Paul, sluts, 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 and then it's, like, and then I thought it was so funny because I'm like, still talking to those girls by the door. But it's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. I don't think you realize it because. Even when we're on the subway to Boston, you're like, sluts, sluts, sluts. <laughs> there, there was a guy that got up and moved like four seats away from you because of that. His name was John. <laughs> I don't think this happened. You guys are just making up wild stories. He's slut blind. <laughs> oh, how the hell do we segue this? There is no way. There is no way. Except for... Well, hey, we love... Delicious beer. We also love delicious food. And delicious sushi. We are known for having sushi nights. Yes, we haven't had one in a while. And reading this made me think that. My my sister, when she got married, had the sushi group at her wedding, which consists of Paul, his wife, yep. uh, some other friends of ours. And uh, when she got married, we have a group photo of the sushi group. Sushi group. 
So, yeah, we, we love sushi. We love sushi. We've been eating it wrong. We've been eating it wrong, and we love comic books. And thankfully, we have the culmination of all that stuff. Except for drinking. Yeah, there's really no drinking in here. And wine. I'm holding this up because it's almost like we're on a talk show. Yep. Mm. That's why I grabbed it like this. But we're not. For those of you listening, you can't tell, but I'm holding up the book like I'd be showing it off. Like I was Ellen DeGeneres or something. You're not dancing. No. And what's the title of the book, Chris? The title of it is Get Jiro. And as we talked about at the beginning of the show, this is written by, uh, you might know him from the Food Network, Anthony Bourdain. Travel Network. Travel. Oh, is he on Travel? I think yeah. he started on Food Network, but I don't think he was ever on Food Network. I think it was always I Travel I don't watch or Discovery. <laughs> I don't really watch He TV. might have started on Discovery and then moved to Travel. But. Mm. Yeah, he was on Travel. He for, is uh, But Anthony no Bourdain from No Reservations. Um, also helping him out on this book with the writing duties was a novelist named um, Joel Rose, who I'm really not too familiar with at all. Um, I'm guessing he helped just kind of with the, uh, the scripting be- of it more. Or he might be his writing partner from the other Anthony Bourdain books. You know, he, he might be kind of like a ghostwriter. Who knows? Could be. Um, I, I wish I was a little bit more familiar with him to say, like, oh, man, it was him and him. Like, yeah. how cool is that? Yeah. But Anthony Bourdain, I, I'm i jealous of this guy. I want his life. He travels the world and eats food. He started off as a chef in, like, a mm-hmm. New York City kitchen. and yeah, just French, went, French restaurant. Yeah. Had some problems with drugs. Definitely yeah. makes allusions to that. Uh, and yeah, he, he's living that living that life in the fast lane. Yeah, he like, talks about running with the wrong crowd for a while like and all this other stuff. Uh, I have never read any of his other works, other any of his other books, but apparently he gets into those kind of darker subjects in his more autobiographical work. This is not autobiographical at all because he's not Asian or Japanese, and he's not a uh, sushi I'm sure, chef. Not, not a murderer as well. <laughs> yeah. And the art is by? Art by Langdon Foss, who is an artist I had not heard of before this. Um, mm-hmm. I picked this up strictly because of Anthony Bourdain's involvement. He is a comic book fan. Um, kind of talking like how Alan Heinberg, he's really? a, yeah, he's a TV like writer who loves comic books. Anthony Bourdain is a comic book fan. He dedicates this book to Jack Kirby. Yeah. Like, cause he grew up reading, you know, that, those Marvel issues. Um, but yeah. We have Gijiro. Um, this is a hardcover from over at Vertigo. Um, not very Jack Kirby-esque at all. No, no, but <laughs> not at all. But it's he's one of those people for he was comic books for yeah. Anthony Bourdain. You oh, can yeah, tell, yeah. like, he's a comic book fan. Um, but I completely lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. But um, but. What's the story about? What we have here is a tale of a, not post-apocalyptic, but pop culture elliptic. Because in this world, you don't have movies, you don't have television, you don't have music, you have food. But it did seem like we did have those, because the cinema was definitely a cinema, and now it's a restaurant. but it's a restaurant. It's a restaurant. Yeah, they said that people's, everything kind of changed, they weren't, they didn't care about movies and that it all became about having that big chef prepare that fancy meal for mm-hmm. you and you'd wait three years to get into a restaurant in this Food. one city or this vast city sprawl I, I i think it's safe to assume that this is probably how the world is now mm-hmm. based on how everything's portrayed um, well this 
the comic book world only goes as far as the city limits. You know, like, we don't need to know the rest of this. We, world. we don't, but I think it can be. This I can from the guy that wants to know what's happening in the other cities during certain. Movies. Oh yeah, during uh, Repo. Repo. Yeah. I, Paul. No. I'll, okay. I, I will. That's if, true. Okay, if the rest of the world isn't like that, why would people be waiting years to get a restaurant reservation? Why not just go to the next city over and have Japanese food? Because this is the one city where all the chefs come to cook. Like, this is the New York's, this is the hot spot for all the trendy food. This is the place. To, if you're a chef, this is a city you work Mecca. in. Yeah. Okay. And, and the chefs aren't just chefs, they're a gang, you know? Every, everyone seems to be part of a different faction, like gang. If you're in the inner circle. And real, really what this, you have the main character who is, if you know Akira Kurosawa movies, Yojimbo, Mm. he's the samurai Yojimbo that plays the two families against each other. Fistful of dollars. He's Clint Eastwood's, the man with no name, playing the two towns' families against each other. And that's Mm -hmm. what this book is. And this is just like he's a small sushi chef on the outside of the wall in this city, which we're told is Los Angeles or a city like it mm-hmm. in a like panel later. Um, where do you have your glitzy glamour? You've got the skyscrapers mm-hmm. that are restaurants. You've got the restaurant on the corner next to it. There's another restaurant next to that. But then it's the city's almost divided in two by this wall that's surrounding it. It's a circular wall. And then on the outskirts, it's almost just like run down. Yeah. It's, it's crappy town USA. It's where the wait staff and cleaners and everybody that's on the lower rung of society lives in. And that's where we meet the main character, Euro. Yes. It's where your fast food places are going to be. Yeah. And he, Anthony Bourdain, actually I, makes fun of that quite a bit, saying how fat can he get, and it's meat burger out there, and taco taco. I forget, like, like, in one of the panels you see a street name in that area, yeah, and it's, it's like McWednesday, it's like McWendy, like McBurger's Wednesday? It's a mix it's of something. McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's all together. And, and it's like the street McWendy name. King. Yeah, McWendy King. McWendy King, yeah. Because I looked at that panel quite oh, a bit. Yeah, McWendy King Street. Yeah. It just opened up right there. Um, so, so that, that's the world that we're living in. And we're introduced to a sushi chef, Zero, as three just of the douchiest guys in the world seem to walk in and be like, is this the place? Yeah, this is the place. And we're quickly introduced to just how serious Jiro takes his sushi. And I learned that I was making a lot of mistakes whenever we do go out to eat sushi based off of like the first five pages of this book. Yep. Made me feel like, man, if everybody's been looking at me and telling and thinking this about me, I feel really bad about myself. But wait, should I? You know, no, I mean, like, no, because I mean, we're not from Japan. You know, we might know Ed's brother who lives over there, but. Yeah. He's not. Uh, he probably doesn't even know the authentic or the proper way to eat sushi. Etiquette. You know, it's not something. It's something that you read this and then you go look it up on the internet, like Chris did, to mm-hmm. see exactly what else am I doing wrong. 
can I just say, uh, I want to take some time and just uh, pull up an empty chair and talk to Euro. I have Euro right oh, here. Oh, we, we have the president here. Yeah, yeah, we have Euro right here in this empty chair. Yeah, thanks, Clint Eastwood. Second time we're mentioning him today. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but uh, if you're that upset about how people are going to eat your sushi, why not on the menu have an explanation of, you know, sushi etiquette? He shouldn't have to cater. You know, maybe maybe have that's it, not a pun. Maybe have people. it on the wall. Maybe hey. that's why he's not in the first circle. He's on the outskirts because he wants people who are going to come who know what sushi is. But the people that are he's going to be serving on the outskirts, it's really wouldn't know because they are the not wait those, staff. It's yeah. the lower rung. It's not those people. It's the guy that's in the parking lot there serving tacos out of a food cart. Mm-hmm. Like it's putting cheddar cheese and Monterey Jack and sour cream on his tacos, <laughs> which I'm okay with that not being Mexican. As, exactly. Because it's delicious. Exactly. And food's and, all about what tastes good. Exactly. Exactly. My point here is that Anthony Bourdain, you know, using this is saying that, hey, look at these schlubs. And he actually does this in this book. We do. We make this food for the schlubs that don't know any better. And I'm that schlub. But then again, Euro isn't taking any time to educate. He doesn't put a sign out in front to say, etiquette, this nope. is what you do. He just cuts your head off. He just yeah, cuts he, your head off. He goes crazy with his knives. Like a jerk. And, but like I, a jerk. No, I, I, hey, when I, I go to Pats or in Philadelphia, they tell you etiquette, how to order your chili feet, uh, yeah. your uh, Philly cheesesteak. If you don't order it the right way, you go on back in the line. But you know what? They put a sign up. <laughs> But I for, can follow this. For text. him, it's more about the respect. Yeah. Well, it's more about the heritage and the ancestry of that food. And mm-hmm. th- this is a dude that has a checkered past. It, yeah, because he fought for kings before or fought for somebody before. Chefs before. Mm-hmm. Who also, in originally, chefs meant chief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, it makes sense, even in the current context, because the chef is the king of that kitchen. Like, he's the one calling the shots. You do what he says. I know that just from watching, like, Hell's Kitchen and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, I know that from watching the chew. Because even on there, they're like, yes, chef. Yeah. <laughs> yes, chef. Um, and I, I'm glad I've never ordered a California roll anywhere. Yeah. Like because it's beside. Oh, I don't know if I can order Philly rolls if we go anywhere. Oh, no, no, they're delicious. Yeah, they're delicious. Awesome. That's on their menu. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay, you did not have because you you get the pe- like the guys like I love those Cali- California rolls or yeah however they say it and that's just that's not it because that's not sushi. It's not to euro. Yeah, but um, um he's awesome. the guy that he pays an exorbitant amount of money. For fish to have that proper fish mm-hmm. to do certain ways, th- certain things the right way, like how he has the the fishmonger stun the fish by putting a wire down its spine so it stays alive, but it's paralyzed. Paralyzed, yeah. you and know. Even it, like, go ahead. Sorry. Just that's the kind of person he is. Like he takes everything serious. He spends that money, and it doesn't seem there. There's a lot of people coming into his restaurant at all the times, but. He has that quality fish no matter what. Mm-hmm. And also, 
even just the wood that the sushi bar is made out of, someone's in there towards the end of the book and it's just like, this wood's from this. Like, this is illegal now. You must have yeah, gotten yeah. this years ago. <laughs> this is a man who does what he does because he loves the food. And that's really not how it is in the rest of the city <laughs> world, whatever it is that you see later on, because the city is basically run by two warring factions. One, the, yeah, the global... Uh, the uh, global affiliates. Mm-hmm. Affiliates and the, uh, basically the green, the vegan group. And it's, I, I couldn't remember what they were called. And it's like, well, no, they call themselves something different all the time. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. got a different list of different names that they give each but themselves. They're, they're the vegans. Mm-hmm. They're the vegans. One group. The they're the, uh, fruitarians. The next time, next week, you know, they're, they're the group that always goes with the fat, the fat, you know, the local fad, the local parents. Um, and like Chris is just thumbing through, and like these guys are beating up this dude in a suit on the you know the lower side until they look in the phone and see that he has like a reservation for this really fancy restaurant. And they pick him up, they pat him, like you know they brush him off, they give him all his stuff back, and be like, "Let us know how your dinner was if we ever run into you again." You know, it's, I'm still waiting on my reservation. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, just kind of that fun little moment in the book. Yeah. Hey, this guy's got a res at Mabo. You believe Transylvania Slaughterbox. That's awesome, dude. Congratulations. Like, Paul can mark that time. Mm-hmm. But, the, and I, I was a fan of the world that we had here because you can tell this is written by someone that loves food and maybe doesn't want the world to be like this, but wants people mm-hmm. to be like, oh man, I need to get into this restaurant. I have to eat here. Mm-hmm. He wants chefs to be the rock stars. The, the pop culture icons. Like the people that, oh man, ha- have you eaten at this restaurant yet? Mm-hmm. Have you seen this dish? He wants you to try different things too. Yeah. The things that he's listing off that these different people are cooking. Mm-hmm. Like especially when Euro goes sees his friend who has the underground restaurant and he's listing all these things. They're all kind of things like I want to try that now. I All right, yeah. I'm interested. Okay, this is It's like inside baseball stuff though. It's yeah. like some it's like him talking to other people that are chefs. It goes above my head. I don't exactly know what he's cooking. And that But I, yeah, I don't either, but I want to eat it. I want to eat exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. And the thing is, the whole premise of this book is talking about these two warring factions factions this basically this uh the big corporate, you know, people that are going to sell you the lowest common denominator food and then the foodies that want to overcharge you because they want, because they're pushing this, um, ethics upon you. That they don't even follow. That they don't even follow. And the thing about, and what he, Anthony de Bourdain is trying, I'm thinking in across in this book is that he wants people to take the gourmet food back. Like mm-hmm. Julia Child, didn't learn how to cook French, fine French cuisine until she was in, in the middle of her life. Like she was self-taught, you know, you know, great French cuisine and she brought it to America. But, and that's the thing. It was homespun and she brought it to everybody on PBS. You know, it's, you should be able to make this at home. And yet you, you get that moment where he's talking and it's so over my head that it's not bringing it down to my level. Mm-hmm. And Euro doesn't 
teach anybody. He, well, he either, and it's this, and that's where my fourth overall for the book. That's where I I feel like Anthony Bourdain's sending this mixed message. Where no, it is definitely for the insiders. They get the good stuff, and if you don't get it, then you're missing out. But he's not helping me get to that inside. I, I he, he's he's showing me he's there is an aside. He's showing you <laughs> what is out there, and that you need to find your way. There. To these places and, and, and there. Find your way to there. And I I will swear here, but it's with purpose, so Paul get ready to mark the sound. I feel like what he's telling us here is it's all about the food. It's not about that Sammy Sosa's blue jeans. It's not about living that life, like, oh, we're the vegans, we're we're the greenies. Or no, we're the upper class, like that restaurant you have to wait three years to mm-hmm. get into. It's about that food. Yeah. It's about just going to that crummy place on the corner and getting the best sushi you can have because it's not lit up mm-hmm. with neon lights and spotlights outside of it. It's it's not renowned for, oh, I had to wait a year to get right. in here. But it's still being in the know. Being in the know, but at the same time like it's when you looked at Euro's sushi restaurant. Right. It's in a plaza. Mm-hmm. There's no signs like "Great Sushi" here. Like, there's no line to get in. Mm-hmm. It, there, there's a sign that says "Sushi." Mm-hmm. It's like uh, Frank's. Yeah. Like hole in the wall little place that you'd never know. Like a roast beef joint that has gourmet stuff on its on its thing. It has mm-hmm. great steak sandwiches. Like it's like so a, it's like a great little sir like a nice sirloin steak just. On garlic bread with mm-hmm. spinach and cheese, like, and it's all reasonably priced. But they have specials up the wazoo that are all gourmet in what looks like a dive bar. Mm-hmm. I I never felt like I was being called out for not being in the know with this. Okay, I felt like it was more about no pay pay attention to what's out there. Mm-hmm. Just go eat because. You should enjoy what you're eating. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way. And it, it made me, like we kind of said before, it made me want to eat food. Like yeah. I wanted to try different stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do kind of want to throw it over to the art first because Langdon Foss has a different way of drawing. It's a almost Frank Whiteley kind of style. It's I could kind of, it's kind of flat. But there's a weird type of, like, descriptiveness to the drawing. Like, everything's almost elongated. Like, you took someone's face and stretched it the long way. Like, hot dog, not hamburger. Yeah. Um, I see that. But when he, when he draws the food, though, it's, it's like you're looking at Brian Hitch drawing food instead of people. Like, there's a descriptiveness. Like, when he draws the rice and, I'm trying to find like just a good example of what I'm talking about here, well, here and I can't. See, I couldn't tell the difference between the piece of toast that he's going to eat and also the meatless patty, the meatless meat patty. We're, so we're, we're flipping through. I I, I know, and yeah. the thing is, you have to read this book in order to realize what we're talking about here and to see like, the art. Because we're sorry, we're not a video podcast. But like how he. 
right in the beginning, him cutting the meat, him cutting the fish, and then putting it on the plate and having mm-hmm. this this great artistic look. The and then, then and then the the next page is um, the guy putting it in the wasabi soy sauce, and it just looks just gross. Like he made it extra extra gross for you to feel what euro euro is kind of feeling. Just oh, that's that's putrid looking. And, Why uh, would you destroy what I have made? It, yeah, exactly. And um, I I really I did really like the art. You know, it isn't. It's not realistic. It's comic booky, but I liked the colors and everything. Everything, everything worked for me in this. I wish the food stood out a little bit more than it does. You know what I'm because when he hands him the plate of the sushi, and I'm guessing that's a pile of uh, the pickled ginger and also a pile of wasabi in the beginning, but. It doesn't, that's because I've went out and had sushi. But when they're in the fresh, French restaurant, the, the secret, uh, hidey hole restaurant, that food, I don't know what that is. I really don't. It's, it's supposedly they never make it before and it's awesome and I'm like, okay, but I don't know what I'm looking at. And he's t- and that's one of those moments where I think I feel Anthony Bourdain's talking a- above me, and that you know the art could have helped carry that scene, and instead it just left it flat. And but I do enjoy how the artist really does take time and gets the idea of the facial exp- expression of pleasure done really well because nobody dies upset. In this book. Yeah, they all have the great smiles on their because face. Because they've just they're... taken a bite of something delicious. Like, it, it's, it happens throughout the book. Like, you know, like, I... In the food that he... They, they show here, you know, it's a broth that's been made with, mm-hmm. you know, food and a cheesecloth. And, you know, you can kind of tell what kind of meats those are and vegetables. He says what it is. Right. And, you know, the bread, the marrow... The seasoning, you know, yeah, you don't know the, you know, you don't know it as mateed or or this or that, but he, they do and show he takes, you. He how, takes time or, to say things in the French, and other times when they're talking later on in the book, when they're talking about Yakuza bosses and everything, he puts the captions in to translate what those are. He does not take the time here. He's purposely talking above my head. I I I I don't. He's I don't purposely see that. taking me out. Like in this this scene, like he explains what it is. He explains the vegetables were cooked in a cheese cloth and with the meat and and the broth and how he got the broth so clear later know? on. And and it's I I don't know. I didn't I didn't get that. I understand. And and, and I, I I and the thing is, the artist does well here is in the page beforehand. You know, he draws all these great swirls and these different colors and these stars every once in a while because the artist is trying to put a, uh, get across taste in a visual way. How do you translate taste? I, and it, honestly, like looking at this panel again, it mm-hmm. reminds me of Ratatouille. Yeah. Where Remy's trying to describe exactly. flavor. Yep. 
Because it's in a visual way. It's everyone tastes things differently. So how do you get across how something tastes in what's predominantly a visual medium? Like we try to do that weekly when we're talking about beer. Yeah. And we try to do it weekly when we're talking about a visual medium of comic books <laughs> and an audio you, podcast. You guys just need to be here with us as we're reading through stuff drinking. And if you're over 21, you could drink too. Um, I, the artwork, it is your, I don't want to say standard, um, Vertigo Fair because it's different. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like your typical comic book. And I think that works because this isn't yeah. Everything's a, your typical comic. Like, it's yeah. not your typical graphic novel. Um, the world's exaggerated. The art is exaggerated. I don't know if you want to look at it while no, we're talking no, about something. Okay. Because it, it kind of has to be. The world is over the top because that's the story. Because that's what he's doing. He's taking the premise or an idea and he's expanding it sevenfold. And I feel like the art is doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, cop cars are all short and stubby and, you know, these palaces of Cuisine are huge skyscrapers, and I, I feel like the artist does a good job there because he's over. Because the police have very little influence, so they drive in little, little, <laughs> little cars. cars. And w- when they get there, it's like, oh yeah, this happens. We'll just yeah. call up a mop team and clean it up. And there are a lot of the people who you hear about the etiquette of eating sushi from. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like the book. Like I. I sat and read it before work, and all day at work, I was looking forward to finishing it, and I was hanging out with my girlfriend, and I said, put whatever you want on TV, I'm going to read my book, and it's not because I have homework for the podcast, but I actually wanted to sit down and finish reading it. I, I really liked it. it. It was a book where I really enjoyed it, because it made me realize that I don't pay enough attention to what I'm eating. I don't respect the food as much as I probably should for how much I enjoy it. There's a lot of times what I'm eating doesn't really deserve that respect, though. And that says a lot about me, I guess, mm-hmm. because I'm putting something into my body that maybe isn't worth it. Yeah. I, I, I kind of felt like that, too. It's like, if I'm eating something that I'm just eating to eat, why? Like, why can't because, I eat something that I'm going to enjoy? Because you have to eat to eat. No because, matter what, you have to eat. You get home from work, and it's easier just to put something in the microwave or in the oven to eat, basically reheat, than it is to fix something. And I say this all the time. Like, I eat a lot of just microwavable meals, and people are like, well, why do you do that? I'm like, because I'm just eating for, for me, you. you know? And I was like, I live with a roommate. I'm not going to cook for him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's occasions where the one of us would be like, I made some pasta and there's some sauce out there, you know, feel free to have some. Mm-hmm. You know, both of us have done that done that for each other. But it's like, I'm not going to make, uh, to make just a meal for one person is a lot of work, you know, and it's not like I'm not cooking for a couple people. Yeah. And that's why we used to do our fancy, fancy dinner, dinner parties. Fancy dinner parties. Yeah. Because we would be actually prepare something that was really nice. And, yeah. You know, and that's what we, Kate and I were. It's just a couple, we're just a couple. So, therefore... It's sometimes hard to cook up a whole meal. We eat a lot of just boneless, skinless chicken breasts that we cook in a different way. Yeah. Because. It's easy. It's easy. It's there. And it's not a microwavable meal. It's something just a little bit more. It's a little, something a little bit more real. But 
It's for the two of us. Yeah. And also, you usually get out at a normal time. Right. I get Chris out. Chris usually gets out of work like at 10. Sometimes I used to get out at 9, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. It's all different. Ultimately, I'm, I'm glad this is something that I picked up. I'm happy to have this on my bookshelf alongside my other hardcovers because it's not your typical book. Mm-hmm. This is kind of one of those things that we talk about when we do our, hey, what to read if you're not a comic book fan. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people know who Anthony Bourdain is. And I would like to check out some of his books because he has some, like, fiction and nonfiction books. So I'd like to, I would like to check some of his other stuff out. It further basically, you know, ingrains the thought that Anthony Bourdain is kind of a dick. See, I, in my eyes, like, yeah, it was an interesting read, but man, it's like when they're talking, especially when they're talking about the schlubs, it's like, there's really no character development for Euro or any of the characters here we get. It's just, Pushing this idea of, no, you need to take care of, don't, don't accept the veganism, the blah, blah, localism, and don't expect what they're mass producing for you as cuisine either. Take it back. Because right now you're just a schlub. And, you know, and it's like, I, I think in a that's way. That's all you're doing in this book. In a way, it's, it's true. Mm-hmm. You know? And why not? Like, we never really had that second and thought about it, but it's true. I mean, that's all of our all of our lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you find like that great kind of restaurant, but are you always looking? No, but the restaurant experience isn't my main experience or food, and it never will be. My home experience will always be the main experience or food. And that's the most important part, you know, is me cooking at home. Yeah, but does it make, I mean, you have, you have all those English cookbooks. Mm-hmm. You know, you have those cookbooks to cook different foods and you have. Yeah. You know, so why wouldn't you want to branch out like a little bit more and maybe pick up a, a French cooking cookbook? Because and the French food is way too rich. I, I but, really couldn't but, handle right, like yeah, much but, of the do, French Do you understand foods. what I'm trying to say, though? Is right. get a, another kind of cookbook and cook another ethnic kind of style. Like, that's what he's trying to say is, is try more. You know, you tell people, oh, I have, I have three to four English cookbooks. Mm-hmm. People are like, well, what kind of food do they eat? Well, you know, all the different Close things you make here, you know. Pies and, right. you know. So why Puddings. wouldn't you want to get more of that more serious cookbook for another area? That's all he's trying to say is is branch out. Don't go, don't go one way or the other, but choose your own path and try different things. Find out like he prepared that soup with the that meat and mm-hmm. and vegetables and the thing. I was interested by that. I was like, I would like to try that. Yeah, where I mean, are you guys going to buy a cheesecloth? <laughs> you, I already have one. Oh, that's not and, true. <laughs> it's not. Oh, I mean, that's both fine. these warring like factions are trying to get Joe to work for them, and he's not. Yep. Like he pits them against each other. He takes them both out to continue doing what he wants to do, and I think that's ultimately what the point of this book is: is 
do what you want to do, eat what you want to eat. Don't just fall into what you're told is good. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it as as it's supposed to be. It's like people that go like, oh, we're going to go to a nice meal. Like, oh, where are you going to go? Applebee's. And you're like, well, that's not good. You know, like those chain restaurants kind of a thing. And that's the global initiative. Or uh, what is it? Affiliates. Affiliates. Yeah. You know, and like the other night I wanted to make something at home and I kept trying to tell like my girlfriend like, hey, we could do this or we could do this or we could do this. And then we ended up going to like a diner and paying. And like when I paid for the meal, I was like, I just spent a lot of money for no- like for nothing. I could have done all this at home for half the price. And I completely forgot about this. But then even at the end, like the two yeah. families meet and they just have crappy fish tacos on the beach like it's they find what they want like sitting down just eating food mm-hmm. not something made in a giant kitchen so i don't i i i i feel that you took this as him being really preachy mm-hmm. and i didn't come away with that at all no i mean you can have those flashes like when you hear him talk but it's a guy that's him. just super passionate about Food. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. after reading this, I was like, oh, I think they have all those episodes of No Reservations on Netflix. Yeah, they do. I should, I should watch one. Because he, he's a guy that loves food. And when you watch him, like, I don't feel like he's talking down to you. I feel like it's just him talking about something he loves yeah. and wanting to share it, like we do with comic books. See, I take him as that comic book guy everybody's afraid of running into of food. But he's that food guy that when you start talking to him about food, he's going to let you know everything you want to know. Like, if you want to get something good, no, go here, do this, check this yeah, out. Yeah, and, and like, even on No Reservations, like, he likes beer. He'll he'll talk about beer. And, and his show is, a lot of times, he's talking about street food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he loves you know, street he food. He loves street food. You know, he, he talks about those different places. So I don't see him being that preachy guy, but Finding those places that are just good, like the flavors, everything about it, you know? It was like all of a sudden we started doing eating Indian and just talking about like it's an insane the spices and the flavors in those that you've never had before. And the curries. Yeah, exactly. Getting really hungry now. <laughs> Me too. But let's go head to head right now before we finish up Saranac versus the Breckenridge. So, we love delicious things, and here we go. It's the head-to-head competition between the uh, <laughs> Saranac Oktoberfest versus the Breckenridge it, it's Autumn also, If you smell the Bisonfest, it's like fishy smelling. It's not Autumn. No, no this Saranac. is Saranac. Yeah, it's gross or Saranac. smelling. Yeah, Saranac Oktoberfest. Like, it smells like... It, it smells like... It smells nickel-y. like pet store. Yeah, it smells, like, it smells gross. Does your smell yeah. gross? Yeah. Let yeah. me smell yours. It probably smells the same as everybody's. I agree. It doesn't smell good at all. No, it's gross! It it smells like a salamander or something. It it smells like it's gross and slimy. I I don't want to drink this, but I liked it. Yeah, we liked this the best so far up until the Breckenridge. It's bad. Okay, it's not bad. It's a a weird nose, and I don't remember it having that before. I don't either. I think it's Paul's glasses. <laughs> yeah, take your glasses off. <laughs> Wait a second. You guys drank it in the, my glasses beforehand, yeah, too. Yeah, it doesn't matter, John. So, therefore, power rankings. Everything you've drank, you've drank out of Paul's glasses. 
Well, I have the Breckenridge. I mean, it's such such a better beer. There's more to it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't smell like earthworms or like what is that fishing lure or something? <laughs> what does that? Sm- yeah, it's, it's live bait. It, it smells, smells like live. Bait. It smells like very familiar, and I can't place it. It's metallic-y, and yeah, it's weird. Um, the Saranac isn't bad. The Saranac, I have to say, so far is the best out of the Oktoberfests, and this is the best out of the Autumn Harvest beers. And it, and I think it is out of the two of these, I would pick the the Breckenridge over it. Mm-hmm. So maybe we might need to keep a tally of maybe. True Oktoberfestian beers, and then the Harvest beers, just to... How much Oktoberfest can you get with this Breckenridge, though? It says Bavarian hops yeah, but and Bavarian Munich. It's basically the stu- like same stuff that was in the Bavarian Flying Bison. It's a darker beer. Bavarian hops are like a Bavarian... A Bavarian lager is a dark beer. You know? The, the Saranac's um, Black hey, Forest Ale is a Bavarian-style beer. You put you put this beer against Cyrenex Black Forest. I think they're going to compare. I would say this is more of a Bavarian. It's a German beer. Mm-hmm. The Bisonfest also used Munich malts. Yeah, but I, with German Pilsner and Vienna, no. I don't know what that means. German Just, Pilsner and Vienna, like a Bavarian lager is going to be a darker, a darker beer. I think if you taste tested the the Breckenridge to the Black Forest from Saranac, they're going to be a lot similar. But the Black Forest was their winter seasonal for the longest time. I think Black Forest is just their it's one of their go to beers. It's now is, but yeah, originally it was just for the winter. And there's not too much of a difference between autumn and winter seasonals, though. I mean, you get a lot more like that nutmeggy, cinnamony spice. From the winter stuff, right. but I wouldn't be surprised if the Breckenridge could become a winter if they just add a little bit more spice to it. It's got that make it deeper, like, that deeper like maltiness. Mm-hmm. Just, just just up it a little bit up, and up the you're alcohol there. a little bit. Yeah, up the alcohol and maybe and make it a little already smoky. like a, a six point three, six point seven percent. It's it's so good, like mm-hmm. like. It's very drinkable and you just make it a little smoke. bit smoky. You put, a, you put if you put some smoke to it, it's a porter. Yep. I love porters in the winter. Power rankings, Johnny. You already gave us our your power ranking, right? Did you yeah, but kind of Breckenridge one, Saranac two. What's three? You need to give me a three. Um, what did we say, Pollyanna? Yeah. I feel bad that I can't remember those other beers because they were just so meh. Mm-hmm. I mean, Breckenridge won the Saranac 2. I'd, I'd say maybe Bisonfest 3 just because it stuck out a little bit more yep. over like the Iyengar and like the Pollyanna one mm-hmm. like, or whatever it was. The Spaden and then the Pollyanna. Yep. Okay. And then there was the one that you brought last week that I can't remember. That was in yeah. just the one bottle. Just said at the... Is that Iyengar? Yeah. yeah. I have to go power rankings, definitely. The Breckenridge, number one. Uh, number two. You know what? I, I think I like the Flying Bison a little bit more than the Saranac. And then, so Saranac, number three. I still remember that nose on the 
Yeah. Saranac last time. Yeah. We should listen to the show one, because we usually say what it smells like. Well, sometimes oh. we do, but sometimes we don't. And that's when you need to point out our mistakes and our flaws. Call us out, please. Aaron, let us know. Contact at beggingboardcast.com or just leave a comment on the posting on our Facebook yeah, account. Look for that episode 139. We've got a picture of what we're drinking today, so that mm-hmm. makes it easy. And somebody already commented on it. Ooh, there thanks, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the one thing that I love more, in fact, I might love more than beer itself, is race. I you can say your wife. <laughs> no. Sluts. <laughs> no. He loves those more than his wife. No. <laughs> Do not. Do you love sluts more than beer? No. So you love beer more than sluts? Yes. But you love sluts more than your Do wife? You love, no. Do you love beer because it makes them sluts? <laughs> no. if, we give you, if you give your wife beer, she become a slut. No. She and in which case beer. would you love your wife more than beer or sluts? <laughs> Man, these are tough <laughs> questions. Hey, let us know over on our Facebook page what you think. Oh, no, Paul wants you to write and review us. Over on the iTunes, because I, I love those more than I love beer. In fact, if I get a rating, you keep me from drinking. So do your part but, to no, keeping me sober. But technically, if they rate and review us, that just makes you want to do more shows, which makes you drink more. Yeah. And then you're like, hey, we got one. Let's celebrate. <laughs> Excuse me, slut. Would you have a beer with me? <laughs> Does not happen. <laughs> sluts, 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 sluts. 